welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time Ben, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I just watched the Kanye Donda 2, I guess, album release. I don't even know what you call it. Concert thing uh, that was going in and out all night long. Did you watch any of that? No, no. I, I find your continued ardor for Kanye West mystifying, <laughs> to be honest. But let's talk about something um, that we both watched, and I kind of want to have a mm-hmm. conversation with you about it. And I genuinely don't know your take, and I don't want this to become a poor man's movie podcast, but I, I just have a lot of thoughts about this movie and I want to try and get them out with somebody. So power of the dog. Yep. I had like 12 Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think it's going to win best picture. It's on Netflix for those of you who are listening to this and people that are listening to this have probably seen power of the dog, but um, yeah, man. So what'd you think? Yeah. I mean, it was beautiful. I love the scenery. I, the acting is incredible i think it would have been really hyped up before i watched it i watched it like right as it came out and i'll admit like on first watch i didn't really get it i've i tried to revisit it because nick wanted to talk about it on the spot and uh, i guess i maybe appreciated it more but um yeah overall i i was kind of a little bit bored by it what do, what do you think oh yeah I, I i feel like this is an emperor has no clothes moment it, i genuinely don't understand why people are so into this movie. Like I, I thought about it a lot and I definitely watched it very attentively. And aside from the intricate plot reveal, Mm -hmm. you know, like the spoiler at the end, which is like a book, like that's what happens in the book, you know? So I don't really see why this move, like movie as a movie is blowing everyone's mind. Like Mm. who, who in your, like, who's the most like, I mean, it's not a, um, it's not a message movie, which I like, you know, it has some ambiguity, but what is it trying to say? Like, is it about mm. toxic masculinity? Is that's it what a- I was about to say. And I was about to say, that's why you hate it. But see, but here, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but in my mind, like the most human and in some ways sympathetic character is Benedict Cumberbatch, the bad mm. guy, because mm. like, I mean, you, we're not going to be able to talk about this movie without revealing the major plot spoiler but you know he ends up dying and he ends up dying at the hands of this like androgynous boy and i like but the the most moving part of the 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 most moving part of the movie is when benedict cumberbatch kind of like tries to bring him into his like tormented sexuality and you know right and then and that's when Mm -hmm. he decides to kill him like what i just don't know what to make of this movie yeah i don't know what to make of it yeah, it does seem like not anti-Christian, just not Christian in that as as Benedict Cumberbatch character kind of approaches a semblance of a conversion. It's at that moment <laughs> that uh, he struck down. Um, yeah, and, but the end of yeah. the movie, the, the end of the movie tells this story that like, I mean, he is the power of the dog. 
And it's when mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch is killed that the shroud of death that covers all people is swallowed up. And, you know, like Kristen Dunst, you know, she looks much better. She's smiling. Her alcoholism is over. So it, it's just, it's a very confusing story. I, I, I just don't know what to make of it. And, and I just, I feel like there are 15 movies that I've seen this year that are way better. Can I, can I list Ooh, some? Yeah, I, cre- I created a list. So card, cunt, card counter, way Great. better. Last Duel. Dune. Haven't seen it. Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, West Side Story, Come On, Come On, Pig, French Dispatch, Last Daughter. All of those movies blow uh, Power of the Dog out of the water. I just don't even think there were even comparable. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, there's a cinematic thing about the setting, which I get. It's very austere. And, and the Paul Greengrass tr- score is awesome. But it doesn't, yeah. didn't it didn't transport me in any meaningful way. It didn't hold my attention. I didn't care about any of the characters. And the one interesting facet of the movie I felt like was kind of undone by the ending. So I don't know, maybe yeah. I'm just missing something. Yeah. I think, I mean, it was a good movie, I guess. I mean, I was, I was, again, I, I think I really stuck with it and paid attention because everyone's talked about how amazing it is, but to say nice things about it, they're, it's nice when there's not much, you know, backstory or there's little exposition and the dialogue is pretty minimal. So you, she's, you know, Jane champion or campion, however you say her name, she's kind of showing us, not telling us, which is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, best movie of the year. I mean, I, and yeah, I'm all for like, I mean, you, if you want to expose true bullying, toxic masculinity, that's cool. And there was a little bit of like, you know, a, post-colonial thing going on as well and and you know this was filmed i guess in new zealand all right all right uh, all right well i'm just saying like you know it has things going for it and and i'm not opposed to any of that but it it feels like i'll end on this it feels like people are really into it because it's touching on some of these hot button issues when another movie could do those things and be a better movie. Look, I am all for toxic, like exposing toxic. I mean, I would say nightmare alley is a way more effective indictment of like the male will to power grifter thing. I'm not, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not against it. Cause it's against toxic masculinity. <laughs> I'm just saying if that is in fact, what it's trying the to listeners do, think so. <laughs> if, if that's in fact, what it's trying to do, it's undercut by the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch for all of his hardness for the first three fourths of the movie is kind of softened yeah. by this yeah, yeah. teenager. And then he ends up yeah. dead. And yeah, it's maybe like, it like kind of exposes a little bit of the, <laughs> we're going to give him some hot water for this, but exposes the shortcomings of, contemporary cancel culture is in that yes he was a bully and the worst person to kirsten dunn's character but maybe there's like that like you know there is no forgiveness he's done this he's made her life a living hell i don't care if he's turning it around it's time to cut him down (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i'm you know i'm thinking of this out loud here but it's like i guess if it's exposing that eve i mean if the message of the movie if what it's trying to wrestle with is like you know, you can respond to evil evilly, <laughs> you know, like, I think that's a pretty provocative message. I just don't know if that's exactly what the movie is trying to get across. And maybe yeah. it's because Benedict Cumberbatch is such a good actor. That's another thing too. I felt like yeah. Kristen Dunst was like profoundly one-dimensional. I don't understand why that's an interesting performance. She's just like, you know, it, it's a, it's an effective performance of a relatively flat, like broken woman character like i mean i've seen that a hundred times and jesse Plemons is just like this dodgy doughy 
you know, yeah. and, but I mean, the boy is great and Benedict Cumberbatch is great, mm-hmm. but, um, it all felt like a softball for those two and they were yeah. awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. You know, uh, yeah. Softball. That's a good way to put it. I don't, and, you know, I haven't read the novel I and I don't, but I just don't know how much of the kind of what you're saying about showing, not telling. It is very hard to recreate the kind of moodiness of a novel on film, right? That's why, that's mm-hmm. why books are so, so hard to, so hard to translate. They're about mood, not like action or whatever plot, but you know, I just compare that to Dune and the cinematic mm. achievement of Dune turning that book into a movie uh, without having read Power of the Dog. Let me just say by faith, it pales in comparison. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Anyway, we've talked about it. where David Lynch failed. Come yeah, on. We've, we've, uh, we've, we've, well, yeah. before, before we jump in, we should say there, the, the title is based on a psalm. The psalm's about, this podcast is about the psalms and it's Psalm 2220. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. All right. Take us away. So I, I would have, final thought, I would have rather seen a cinematic adaptation of Don Winslow novel, The Power of the Dog, about Mexican drug cartels, but that's for another podcast. All right. Uh, this is, okay, pause, listeners. We are now talking about the Bible and the life of the church. This is the psalm for- trans- This is when they turn it off. <laughs> Not really. This is for uh, the, the last Sunday of Epiphany, or also known commonly as Transfiguration Sunday, and the appointed psalm is the 99th psalm. The Lord is king, let the people tremble. He is enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is high above all peoples. Let them confess his name, which is great and awesome. He is the Holy One. Almighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and fall down before his footstool. He is the Holy One. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among those who call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them out of the pillar of the cloud. They kept his testimonies and the decree that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them indeed. You were a God who forgave them, yet punished them for their evil deeds. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord, our God, and worship him upon his holy hill. For the Lord, our God, is the Holy One. All right, friends. Well, this Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday. We have two of those every year, the Feast of the Transfiguration in August, and then the Transfiguration is the ultimate epiphany before we make our way to the cross. And I think, I don't know, this this psalm is about the Lord being king. He's a big deal. He's (laughs) high above all peoples, and we should worship. And what do we see at the Transfiguration? We see our Lord, his countenance has changed. Um, I guess many would argue we we see Jesus revealed in his divinity in this moment. Um, yeah, and we you know we have we have some uh, Moses and Aaron are mentioned in this psalm, uh, but you know it's it's Moses and, and Elijah at the Transfiguration. Have you made any connections with the Transfiguration with this psalm? Or are you doing I, something completely different? Yeah, no, I think the only I mean the only connection plausible connection that I can see is he spoke to them out of the cloud. <laughs> I don't really know like the that's pretty good though. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I'm just saying like, yeah, I think that's why it's an appointed song for this Sunday. Yeah. 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 I mean, to me, I think there's a couple things that are interesting or not. There's a lot of things that are interesting, you know, but there's uh, a few things that we could talk about. And one is uh, um, the, well, the, I think this is a, a prototypical enthronement psalm. 
So there are a number of Psalms that celebrate the Davidic kingship, you know, the kind of human king. Um, but there's also a number of Psalms that are doing something a little bit different and that are saying what our Psalm opens with, the Lord is king. It's ascribing kingly power to God and God alone. And, you know, it's those, you know, the people who've been very familiar with the language of scripture and have prayed Psalms like this, many Transfiguration Sundays past, I think it's worth just reminding ourselves that Israel was this little, little nation in a shabby corner of the earth, in a shabby temple when compared to the other great achievements of the ancient world. And they were constantly being tossed to and fro on the waves of empire. And so the, the assertion that their God is king was laughable mm-hmm. to the natural, to the natural eyes, you know? And, uh, and so what they are saying and what the, what Israel is praying in this Psalm is something that is, you know, I believe profoundly true, but also profoundly uh, not attested to in the uh, annals of history, yeah. right? Um, because it's their God that's king, not the God of Syria or the God of Rome or the God of Greece or the, you know, those like great powers that actually- or Vladimir actually... Putin right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. And it's just, and I think, you know, this is a great instance of um, of quote unquote political theology. You know, it's it's ascribing kingship to God and it's not even really dealing with, claims other other claims you know it's not even it's not engaging in polemics that oh no it's not the god of assyria and the bible doesn't really i guess some of the prophets do that a little bit but there's not this like explicit engagement with other power structures it's like a vertical no we know that we know that we know that it is our god who is king and we are celebrating that um it it put into mind this is a little bit of a, a digression but it's another thing I wanted to talk about. So here we go. Uh, have you have you read? Um, you can find it online. I think it's in an academic book. But have you read the essay by John Barclay, um, "Why the Roman Empire Was Insignificant to Paul"? Nope. Are you are you familiar with the basic thesis? Uh, just the Paul and the gift stuff. I don't think that's related. No. Yeah. So he what he's doing there is he's kind of. Can I talk about this for a second? Is this going to like take us? Okay. So he um, is engaging with N.T. Wright and all of the N.T. Wright heads who just love seeing Paul as this kind of prophet against the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and they kind of read into a lot of his letters this kind of these coded references to Caesar and and these kind of implicit critiques of the like imperial cult. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and what and what um, uh, uh, John Barclay is saying in this essay, you can find this essay online. Maybe we could link to it. Do we? Can we yeah. do that on our show yeah. notes or whatever? Um, uh, is like that's just a profound misreading of Paul. Is that like Paul doesn't is not afraid to say things explicitly. And if you're going to try and get behind the text and infer things, like that's just a that's just a very weird way of reading scripture. And b like. Paul is, talks about a lot of things that aren't very popular. So why would he not, why would he be afraid to talk about this thing? And, but the more substantive, more positive point that he is making is that Paul, the drama of history for Paul, and I would say the drama of history for the Bible is not this king or this empire or this political movement or not. It's the, the, the architects of fallen history or sin, death, and the devil. And the cross has profoundly defanged those powers. And so maybe Rome has a little bit of sin and death in it. Rome is also 
servant of God in Romans 10, you know? And so Paul just lives in this profoundly different world where the Lord is King. And that has been attested to in the death and resurrection and throne of Jesus and nothing else really matters. So to expend a lot of time and energy and emotional duress over this King or that King or this party or that party, it's just in Paul's mind, according to Barclay, it's just kind of missing the point. And let me, let me just read the conclusion of the essay. And this is speaking obviously about Paul and about the new Testament, not Psalm 99, but it's interesting. So here we have a truly radical Paul who reads reality in ways deeply counterintuitive, both to us and to his contemporaries by jolting our worldviews under the power of the cross. He invites us to see this world differently. Suddenly, we see Roman propaganda subverted precisely by not being challenged, but by being subsumed and relativized within a larger framework of explanation. And in this cruciform vision of the world, we see the truly revolutionary potential of Paul as a messenger announcing the biggest and the deepest change the world has ever known, the eruption of new creation. So yeah, this notion that the Lord is king in Psalm 99 just asserts it, doesn't argue for it. It doesn't, you know, compare God to other gods who claim kingship. It just says it. And that's counterintuitive in some ways. And to read Paul into this, it's like, Jesus is king. Um, Let the people tremble. Uh, We don't need to engage in these polemics, but we need to, you know, we have this much wider picture. Is, Is any of that making sense? These connections I'm trying to make? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's actually why you know people might get bored reading this psalm. Not that it's a boring psalm, but it it really the first couple of times I read it, it's like, okay, uh, it's about the fact that God is king and he's king over Israel, but everyone, and here's a little bit of you know the history of Israel involved. He's all about justice and equity. Okay, worship him on his holy hill. Um, which I think kind of just backs up what you're saying is that it's it's not really so much a the God of Israel versus the God of the Syrians or whomever. It's like, right. okay, the focus is on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, mm, mm. And there's sure, there's a little bit about his character, his dealing with his people, but there's not this polemic and we live for the polemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm feeling that. That's good, man. Um, yeah, yeah. I really like that you brought up the, in, you know, he, he is king and he's the king of this little country He's obviously the king of the world, but this little land, this little seemingly insignificant people. And we get so caught up at times and understandably. So it's, you know, folks like Putin who might be bringing us into world war three, let's pray not. Mm. Um, but here in the, in the midst of all that, what are the people of God doing mm. the, the bond that's thicker than, than blood um, yeah. worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob trembling at his feet and just experiencing his justice and equity. Mm. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'd say here, the way that this Psalm kind of points us to the cross points us to the gospel and is uh, the second half of verse eight, you know, you are a God who forgave them. Good news. Um, yet punish them for their evil deeds. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you feel about the substitutionary atonement. I don't even know how I feel about the substitutionary atonement a lot of times, but I think what we see here, and this maybe in some oblique way references the, uh, the actual transfiguration is like the glory of God is this holy, this, it is completely other. And it is not, it's something that us and our createdness and, and dare I say our sinfulness can't really abide. Um, and you know, God is, is 
unmitigated, uncomplicated grace, but God is also holy and he can't help but punish evil, put death to death. And what we are beginning in this season of the church is not only the good news of a God who forgave or who forgives, but a God who is so gracious and so, you know, unending in, in, in his compassion that he finds a way to be the just and justifier of those, you know, who, who do wrong. Um, that, yeah. 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 And it goes along with the colic that we talked about last year, what was being changed from glory into glory, forgiveness, punishment, all part of the transfiguration of us as well. Yeah. So. I'll swallow it up, man. All right. All right. Here we go. The Lord is King, but the people tremble. He is enthroned upon the cherubim, but the whole earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all peoples. Let them confess his name, which is great and awesome. He is the Holy One. Almighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and fall down before his footstool. He is the Holy One. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them out of the pillar of the cloud. They kept his testimonies and the decree he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them indeed. You are a God who forgave them, yet punished them for their evil deeds. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and worship him upon his holy hill. For the Lord our God is the Holy One. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.